Welcome to the Wellness Connection with Fiona Kane. This podcast aims to provide inspiration and education, begin discussions and explore various aspects and strategies around life and wellness. As an experienced nutritionist, holistic counsellor and mind-body eating coach and a woman experiencing my own life and health issues, I have my own unique experiences and approach to these topics. I'm also open to learning. Join me and we can explore these topics together. Hi, welcome to the Wellness Connection podcast with Fiona Kane. I'm your host, Fiona Kane, and today I'll be talking to you along the lines of, or the question will be, can you be addicted to food? And the answer is yes, and the answer is no. So I'm going to explore that a little bit with you. This is something I work a lot with with my clients' uh, language around food and also challenges around food. So I think it's an important topic to cover. A lot of people uh, will relate to this. So firstly, I would say that I don't use the word addiction in regards to food. I use the word habituation. And you might say tomatoes, tomatoes. You might say it's the same thing. And you might be right. However, the issue with calling an addiction in regards to food is that we can't be addicted to something that is essential to life, right? So we have things like air, food, sleep, breathing, going to the toilet. All of those things are essential for life, right? So we can't turn those things into addictions because they are things that we, re- we require to live. So using the word addiction can be really, really challenging for that reason. And if you think about the reason why, when you think about the word addiction, what do you associate it with? We associate it with drugs and alcohol and those kinds of things. And generally, what is the solution to addiction? Well, the solution is abstinence. Can you see the problem there? (laughs) Because you can be abstinent from alcohol and drugs, but you can't be abstinent from food because you need food for life. So something that requires abstinence and seeing that thing as the enemy and kind of whatever you do, stay away from that, don't do that, You just can't do that with food. Well, if you do, you have um, tragic outcomes for it, right? So the problem with calling uh, your habituation to food an addiction is it brings in that mindset of, well, if it's an addiction, the only solution is is to abstain. And unfortunately, abstaining from food is not an option. Therefore, we need to work out what's going on and we need to manage that. Uh, So that's why I prefer the term habituation. Uh, And I just will put put a note here to say that uh, I studied at um, the Institute for the Psychology of Eating with Mark David and a lot of what I'm going to be talking about today are things that I learned through Mark David. So I'm just giving him the credit for a lot of the wisdom that I will share with you today. But uh, I think he's really right about that problem with calling it addiction is it associates it with abstinence. Can't do that with food. So it's just the language is not helpful. So when we think about uh, when we think about these habituations, obviously some common ones are things like caffeine and sugar or kind of, you know, the chocolate thing. Chocolate really is kind of sugar. Uh, Yes, they are really common and we use them 
for it's, it's several reasons why it might be happening. So it might be happening because you are not getting enough sleep and you have some issue with your sleep, so therefore you're tired and so you're reaching out for sugar and caffeine to keep you awake and keep you going and give you energy. So there's, there's there might be some reason why you are low on energy, so whether it be you've got nutrient deficiencies or whether you're not sleeping well, maybe you have some sort of health issue um, happening. Uh, there's some reason though that you are tired and that you are craving those kinds of foods. The other thing is to, once we start um, having a lot of kind of sugar, caffeine, that sort of thing, they basically they you have energy highs and energy lows and energy highs and energy lows. So what happens is we get quite habituated to using them all the time because we always t- we're always tired an hour later or a couple of hours later. So we're constantly chasing uh, you know the caffeine or the sugar to give us that energy hit, right? So it sort of becomes a self-fulfilling thing where your blood sugar goes up and down, your energy goes up and down, your mood goes up and down. And then you kind of eat, uh, you choose based on kind of what you desperately need right now just to get your energy up. So you know, it, it essentially it encourages more of the same. So there's that issue as well. So if you are uh, really craving those foods, it's a good thing to look at like physically what's going on for you and is there a physical reason behind it because even something like if you have a microbiome imbalance, so basically your gut bacteria is out of whack, if you have some sort of bacterial infection or some sort of uh, gut bacteria issue where you've got a, a dominance of some bacteria over others, those bacteria live off sugar and they make you crave sugar. And when you have the sugar, the bacteria multiply and then all those bacteria make you crave more sugar. So there's there's physical reasons why you might be having that um, being drawn to things like the caffeine or to things like sugar. So there's the physical things and and, then like I said before, I think I said nutrient deficiencies. So if you're deficient in zinc or magnesium or other nutrients, you might be going for for these foods. Then there's also emotional reasons why we might be drawn to these foods and very much so in the Western world anyway. In the Western world, many of us have been taught that uh, that foods are a solution to dealing with your emotions. And also we have a lot of celebration around food in the Western world. I can only speak for the – I say the Western world just because I live in Australia. I kind of understand that a little bit better and I don't want to speak for everybody because I don't think it's true for everybody. And my experience in, in travelling in places like Cambodia is it's not the same everywhere. So I don't can't name all the places that this happens and all the places it doesn't, but uh, in sort of the Western world or maybe the more affluent uh, places, I'm aware of this. Uh, so that's why I, I, that's why I just clarify that's why I say that. So when we uh, when we are using food for celebration, it becomes part of our, part of our culture and part of our part of our way of enjoying life. And that's fine. It's fine that we celebrate with food. There's no issue. Uh, It's just what can often happen though is then we start uh, 
we use it for all of our emotions. So we kind of say, oh, I'm happy, I'll have chocolate. I'm sad, I'll have chocolate. I, you know, I I failed or I missed out, I'll have chocolate to make myself feel better. You know, I won, oh, I'll have chocolate as a reward. So we tend to then attach it to lots of emotional highs and lows and things like that. And if it's in, um, you know, it's whatever moderation looks like for you and for your health, that's not an issue. But when it's all of the time, it becomes an issue. But then what we do is we use it to manage our emotions a lot of the time. And again, I will speak from my background, which is Western world and it, it kind of probably a, a heritage of um, that sort of English, Irish, that sort of background. And I know that uh, in my world what would happen is when children uh, when children cry a lot or they're sort of, um, you know, you're in a supermarket and the, ch- the ch- child is uh, freaking out or crying or upset or whatever one of the quickest way to ways to calm them down and distract them and kind of change that behavior is to give them ice cream chocolate lollipop whatever it is right so what happens though is we learn that when we have really really strong emotions we learn that the quickest solution the great solution to that strong emotion the, the thing that's going to make us feel better is that sugar and we also learn that it's not okay to have strong emotions. And so we, so if we do have strong emotions, as time goes on, we start to go, well, I'm having a strong emotion. I know it's not okay to have that, but I know the solution. Uh, and then we go for the solution, you know, the chocolate bar or whatever it is. So it's kind of we're being taught that. And uh, our parents aren't intentionally trying to harm us. That's just the way our society is and what's always happened. But essentially what happens is the adults are uncomfortable with the behavior. And also it's like obviously very challenging. This is, this is not a judgment at all, but it's very challenging if you've got a child who's having a meltdown in the middle of the supermarket or whatever it is. Um, and so either our people around us are really uncomfortable with our behavior or it might be inappropriate for where they are. And one of the quickest solutions is the the basically the sugar in the mouth kind of thing to um you know distract that child and make that child feel better and then they have learned though that sugar is a great solution and sugar might it might have a you know several roles it might help you numb the pain or it might help you feel a joy or a happiness for a moment uh, so it's kind of it's about changing your state in this in this situation it's about changing your state somehow so some people use it for numbing some people use it for feeling good um and when you think about it too as as adults it's because obviously we carry this into adulthood and we learn this is a way of doing it and and food is well you know food is legal as opposed to maybe drugs and alcohol and things like that not saying that alcohol is illegal but what i'm trying to say is food's a bit more of a socially acceptable way of doing this um and because we need food and everyone you know has food in their cupboard and you know um food's just a bit more of a yeah socially acceptable way of managing these things uh that's fairly um, available to many people and so as an adult we learn to use food in this way and uh, what we do is is we use it to manage our emotions and sometimes what I see with people is when I talk to them about their life uh, and I particularly see this with women and it's not saying it's not with men as well but my experience is talking to a lot of women about this is when I talk to a woman about her life and what's going on in her life often there's no joy they're not doing anything that brings them any joy everything is about 
everybody else. And so when they sit down in the evening and they break out that chocolate, that is the first time all day that they've done something for themselves and that they've done something that brings them pleasure or brings them joy, right? So the last thing I want to do is take that chocolate off that person because it's like, wow, that's the only thing you're doing that's bringing you any joy. Why would I take that off you? Uh, So you can see that you know, how it comes about. And again, if that person's having just a little bit of chocolate every night, it's not affecting their health and well-being, not, not an issue. But if the person is, you know, having a block every night or whatever amount they're having is is affecting their health and well-being, then it is an issue, right? And so it's about looking at what the chocolate solves or what the sugar or whatever the, the, the behavior is, what it solves and what are the other ways that you could achieve the same thing. So if you're trying to change your state, if you're trying to calm yourself down or if you're trying to have pleasure or whatever it is, well, what are the other things in life that bring you pleasure? And it's what it is about is bringing those things into your life. I call it actually my emotional eating toolbox and I encourage clients to fill up their toolbox with lots of things that they know that bring them the same thing. So it could be music that you love, it could be connecting with people, it could be cute cat and dog videos that might be doing exercise, it might be sitting down with a pot of tea, uh, it might be your favorite Netflix show or whatever it is, but it might be playing a word game. I like playing word games, crossword, whatever it is, right? So what is it that uh, brings you pleasure or or some sort of massage or all those kinds of things? So what brings you pleasure? What brings you joy? What makes you laugh? What distracts you? And can you bring those things into your life, um, you know, that 30-second version, two-minute version, whatever, all the different lengths of time depending on where you are and what your situation is and what you've got access to. But essentially, if you bring other things into your life to bring moments of joy and moments of pleasure and a bit of fun, you are less likely to be desperately reaching for the chocolate at the end of the day because it's the only thing that brings you joy. So essentially what we do rather than trying to ban something, we actually look at just other ways of achieving the same thing that may be less destructive for your health and we slowly bring those in and and then the other thing usually phases out or kind of just reduces to a regular level just because of that, right? So it's kind of looking at why you're having this as opposed to um, as opposed to just saying, you can't do that, right? And what we also find too, there are foods that, um, that do have, so gluten and dairy products that, that do have kind of a, a, a strong habituation issue as well because they actually contain so so gluten containing foods like bread and pasta they contain gluteomorphins and they're defined as opioid peptides that can have a mild opiate effect so they do have that kind of you know lovely uh nice calming feeling about them and uh, many dairy products have the same thing they have um casomorphins and so again it's a natural opiate like chemical so one of the reasons that if we do get habituated we might go for something like the cheese or we might go for the bread is the same reason because it's actually got these uh, these opioid-like things, um, chemicals in them. So there's sort of some foods that kind of have some of that sort of thing going for them as well that make them quite attractive to us. The issue with all of this is that when we do have these behaviours where we might be binge eating or emotionally or stress or comfort eating, 
when we have these issues, what happens is that we often feel very ashamed. We feel like we've got no discipline, no self-control, and we just feel like it's this, um, you know, it's a proof of well, what a terrible person we are or, or something about who we are that is wrong or bad or, like I said, has sort of no control over them, over myself or over themselves. And, of course, if you deal with strong emotions like shame with food, which many of us do, then that sort of just drives the problem, doesn't it? Because if you shame yourself and you feel bad about yourself and then the thing you do to solve that is eat the chocolate, you'll eat more chocolate, then you'll eat more chocolate and then you'll feel ashamed that you ate more chocolate and it goes around and round and round in circles. So, of course, uh, seeing food as something that you need to avoid and, and that you need to be abstain from completely is a really absurd approach to dealing with these sort of eating challenges. So what we need to do uh, is we need to, you know, change our language around it and change our approach to it. The other thing in regards to, you know, the word words like addiction, remember that it, whether it's habituation, addiction or whatever it is, it's actually a behaviour. So it's about your actions. It's not about who you are. It's about what you do. It's a behaviour. So our behaviours aren't who we are. Uh, they they may contribute to who we are, but we are not our behaviours. We can choose different behaviours. And um, and but what we do is, you know, if we label ourselves a food addict, we make it very much that we are the behaviour, and um, we're not the behaviour. It is about something that we do, not something that we are. So it is really important to kind of just reframe these things and, and even just things like saying when someone says, I'm a food addict. The problem with saying, I'm a food addict, and I would argue the same with some other things as well, other substances. But when we say, I'm a food addict, again, it, it makes it who we are. And it's a behavior, it's not who we are. So I think that I, I struggle with the idea of getting up constantly and saying I'm addicted to or, or I am an, a food addict because I am a food addict is a description of myself. You could say I have a habituation or if you want to use the word addiction, I recommend you don't, but to food and that's just saying that it's something that you do. But when we say I'm a food addict, it's actually we're you can't see if you're if it's who you are it's something that can't be fixed so you've got this conundrum where you're causing stress hormones to be released and all sorts of stuff because you've got this whole thing that there's no way there's no solution for it because it's who you are uh and then you go around and around in circles with shame and blame and, and judgment on yourself and and you know it just keeps it goes round and round in circles right because it's who you are Whereas when it's something you do, when it's a behavior, well, behaviors are things that you have influence over, whereas who you are is who you are, right? So just the, well, the way we describe things is really, really powerful and it's important to understand how you're describing your issues around food. So when we call ourselves as food addict, basically it makes food the enemy and you know, puts you in that fight or flight mode, that stress mode around food. And when we're in that fight or flight mode, 
in that mode, uh, you can't digest your food very well. You can't make digestive enzymes. And what happens is uh, when you're in that mode is that you, uh, that you can't absorb your nutrients. You can't use your calories properly. And for many people, being when you're in that mode, you gain weight in that mode as well. So essentially what we do is we put ourselves in distress mode around food and that's more likely to cause the problems that we're trying to avoid. So instead of saying that, you could say things like, you know, I'm learning how to nourish myself with food uh, rather than I'm a food addict. You're saying, oh, no, I, I've, you know, have had some, I have or have had some food challenges and now I'm working on doing something different. I'm, and I, with my clients, we always talk about having a food adventure. We, have a, have a, we don't go on diet. We have a food adventure because that's essentially what it is. It's a food adventure. So you know, I encourage my clients to use language like um, I'm making friends with food, uh, food nourishes me um, because, again, if, if food is the enemy, your brain perceives it as a threat, then you go into that fight or flight mode and, well, like I said, that's more likely to drive weight issues and it's also more likely to drive dysregulation of appetite. So dysregulation of appetite, hunger, right? You're more likely to make yourself hungry all of the time because your hormones are going all over the place. So when we when food is the enemy, it, it sparks this whole chain reaction that uh, basically, like I said, causes your problems to be multiplied. Excuse me, I'll just have a sip of tea. So it is really important the way we talk about food and the way we talk about our relationship with food and that we don't name ourselves something. We just we can name a behavior that we have but not label us as that thing. So, you know, from infancy we're using food to regulate our emotions, right? So it's actually just learning as an adult different ways of managing that like I was talking about before, the emotional eating toolbox. It's important to understand that every unwanted habit that we have actually has a message for us as trying to teach us something. So our job is to listen and we can graduate from that habit. We can move on from that habit once we understand it. So if we pay attention and listen and listen to understand, we get a whole lot further than if we shame and blame ourselves and name ourselves all sorts of things and assume that we're some sort of terrible person. So if we are present and if we are listening to our body, we can see where we might need to make some sort of course correction or change in our lives. But This requires getting real with yourself and seeing what's driving your behavior. And it could be stress around work or it could be relationships or there's, you know, some other issue in your life that you need to address. Uh, but that, that's, this is the information. Or it could be like I was saying in the beginning, there's a whole bunch of physical reasons. So go and get a blood test at your GP. You could have nutrition deficiencies or other issues that are driving this issue. But it's just information. So when you are behaving in a certain way, uh, it's, it's information. And so it's information that you can use to um, – to, to see, to stop and go, okay, what's going on here? I'm doing this thing and I'm doing it a lot more now. I'm noticing that it's become a thing. Why has it become a thing? And, you know, you explore. That's the whole point. It's information so that you will explore it, so that you can do something about it and then you can course correct when you pay attention to what's going on. So 
our relationship with food, you know, it's just asking you to grow and it's asking you to have self-awareness. And the more you have that, the more that you will improve your relationship with food and your health and your body. So looking at, like I said, what else can help you soothe your soothe yourself or manage your feelings. Look at what those things are. It's not only food that can do that. Uh, and delay that sort of instant gratification and just replace it with something that works better. So don't ban it, but just have other things to try first. And you will find that the more that you do the other things, the less you will need the food. So you don't ban it or make it bad or wrong. You just slowly replace it with other things. Remember to breathe. So when we are in that stress mode, uh, we're in that kind of panic mode to get back into the parasympathetic mode, which is rest and digest, which is where you need to be. You can just, it, with, over one minute, you can do six breaths. So it's four seconds in and seven seconds out. You do that for one minute and it will take your body from fight or flight back into that rest and digest mode where you can be more relaxed around food. So, you know, you are not a binge eater or an emotional eater or any of those things. They are just behaviors. They are information. They don't define you. They just give you some information that you can use. If we call ourselves these things, what we're doing is we're just fusing that behavior to our identity and that doesn't help you at all. So it is really important to learn to reframe your language and you can say, sometimes I engage in this behavior or sometimes I do this thing, not I am this thing. And it will help you, um, you know, disconnect. Because this is what we're doing is we're regulating our emotions, right? And it will help you to disconnect the, this act of regulating your emotions from your identity. The act of regulating your emotions and your identity, they're two different things, but we have the two often combined. It's a behavior. It's not who you are. So this will help you to have a happy and satisfying relationship with food, just understanding that these are messages, this is some wisdom that's coming through, and when we pay attention, we can learn what we need. So I hope that has been useful, and I look forward to um, hearing anyone's feedback or comments or any other topics you would like me to cover. And uh, please don't forget to like and subscribe and all of those things and share this with your friends. I really would love it if uh, my uh, podcast got out to more people. So please do share it as much as you can and um, and give me uh, ratings and reviews and all of that great stuff. Thank you so much. I hope you have a great week. I'll talk to you next time. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the episode, please like, subscribe and share to help me reach more people. Go to the link in show notes for more information about my services. And until next time, please keep showing up for yourself.